Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You're listening to Bill Arnold's Encore presentation, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I am Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening today. I almost wish there was a video cam in the studio today because I have a suit and tie on. Uh, so I'm as dressed up as I'm ever going to be here in the studio. So if I'm feeling a little bit more formal today, it's because I'm all dressed up. And I did uh, actually go to a funeral today. So a friend of mine's mother passed away and 66 years of marriage. And one of her lines was, um, one of her mottos was, dance with your sweetie. Because when you're holding each other close, you can't stay mad at each other. That's beautiful. All right. I was, uh, again, looking at Matthew 11, which I've been focusing on the last week. And Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I say that verse, that's, of course, of Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Because my first guest today is Hugh Welcher. We're going to talk about productivity. So we want to be super productive. Um, and then we want to make sure that we uh, take our rest as well. So we're going to get a little perspective on that from uh, Hugh Welchel today. Uh, you know I love scripture. So let's start with uh, Sarah reading Psalm 119, verse 165. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. Declaring truth. Radio. What is beautiful about the Lord God is the gracious way he will deal with you. Rather than shaming you with hands on hips, you will see the arms of the Father wide open waiting for his son to come over the horizon. It's a place in your radio dial for hope. Faith Radio. You're listening to Bill Arnold's Encore presentation. Hugh Welchel is a good friend of Faith Radio. He's from the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics. He's the executive director, and he's joining me on the program today. Hello, Hugh. Good morning. Good afternoon, rather. I'm sorry. I still think it's morning. I haven't gotten anything done today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny funny you would say that, Hugh, because we're talking about being productive. So I don't, I don't know how you can say you've gotten nothing done today. <laughs> it's one of those days. <laughs> I get it. No, I get it. Uh, so many of us are so busy, and we, we think that we're getting a lot of things done, but maybe 
we're feeling burned out and overwhelmed and we're not getting a lot of stuff done. Maybe we got to figure out how to be more productive. I tell you, it's something that dogged me my whole life. I, uh, I have uh, done, used, tried almost every kind of planner, uh, <laughs> process management, you know, everything, read every book I could get my hands on about time management, and still I seem to struggle. Um, why? I think it's because, um, well, there's a number of reasons. I have some learning disabilities and some other things. But I finally began to realize that part of it is I try to do too much. Okay. Right? And I think a lot of us overestimate what we can get done in a day. And as a result, we never get anything done. Uh, um, we, we are haunted almost by the sense that we're not accomplishing what we think we should be able to accomplish. And I tell you, it really has a, has a powerful effect on us, a, a negative effect on us, I think, in a lot of different ways. Hugh, can we start uh, by really defining what, pr- what productivity is? Yeah, and that, that's a good question. And, and depending on who you ask, you get different things. Productivity is really um, becoming the, the best that you can be, right? It, productivity is really um, performing uh, at a level that suits uh, who God made you to be. Mm-hmm. One of the most interesting things to me, I tell you, this this was a was a was a really um, um, huge impact on me when I realized this. One of the stories that I've always loved through the years is the story of the, of the um, a parable of the talents. Right? We all are very familiar with that with that parable, and we know that it talks about these three guys who are who are each left money by the master. The master goes away. And then when he returns, he expects a return on his investment from these three uh, uh, guys that work for him. And one of them, he gave five talents. One, he gave two talents. One, he gave one talent. One of the things that I did many years ago when I studied this, I, I wondered to myself, well, I wonder what a talent's worth in today's dollars. You know, I always felt like the guy got one talent, got kind of a bad deal. Because, I mean, after all, I'm kind of thinking he got this one little coin. Mm-hmm. What does the master expect him to do with one little coin, right? Well, a talent in today's dollars is worth somewhere between a million and two million dollars. So the guy who got one talent took a million dollars and buried it in his backyard. Don't wonder the master was upset with him, right? Yeah, no kidding. But the thing that really impressed me about that parable is once I really began to understand it, you know, actually it, it's a parable about massive wealth creation, right? Um, but the interesting thing about it is that the the master gave the two-talent guy two talents, and he expected him to go out and do the best he could, and he produced two more talents. And the master was okay with that, right? Mm-hmm. The master gave the five-talent guy five talents. He gave this guy over $5 million. And if you took $5 million and went out in today's marketplace and doubled it, you'd be doing pretty good. This guy doubled it in their marketplace in the first century. Wow. This guy was like a Steve Jobs. I mean, this guy was yeah. incredible, right? But here's the interesting thing. If it was us, we would hold that guy up on a pedestal. The two-talent guy, not as much, right? Mm-hmm. But what did God do? He rewarded them equally. And the reason is, is, is simple, but it's profound. And it had a huge impact on me and understanding productivity. It's because God rewards us on how well we do what he's given us, right? And you and I both know, there. I think one of the most shocking things for me in my career growth is I was growing up as a man. It was the day I realized 
you know, I was never going to be the best of the world in what I was doing. That, you know, there are five talent people out there that are just incredibly gifted. I wasn't one of them, right? I was a two-talent guy. Mm-hmm. And that should have been one of the worst days of my life, but it was not because I was studying this parable of talents. And I realized if I'm a two-talent guy and I do the best I can with my two talents, when I stand in front of the master, I'm going to get the same reward as the Steve Jobs and the and the guys running Chick-fil-A and, and, and these huge entrepreneurs that, that have done so much you know, better than me. My problem was I always measured myself against them, and that's not what Scripture tells us to do. So productivity from a biblical perspective is is taking the gifts, the talents, the opportunities God's given us and maximizing the return to the master, not trying to live up to what someone else is doing. I'm telling you, that set me free to really be the person that God had called me to be. Hugh, that's really encouraging, and I know— Many are thinking that alongside me right now, that thank you for saying that, because uh, productivity, we have a tendency of uh, comparing ourselves to others, which is uh, a bad trap. It is a bad trap. Now, this shouldn't let us off the hook, right? No. We, still, we don't want to be like the one-talent guy who, who buries his gifts in the backyard and, 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 and walk past the opportunities God has given us. We don't want to do that. But what we do want to do is, is honestly see what it is God's given us, understand what he's called us to do, particularly in our, in our vocational callings, and then go do the best that we can to become the best that we're capable of becoming, which, interesting enough, is the definition of success that John Wooden would tell his basketball team. John, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge college basketball fan, and I'm a huge fan of John Wooden. Uh, many of your uh, your listeners may not know who he was. I date myself a little bit, but he won um, actually seven national championships in college basketball in nine years, a feat that will probably never be repeated. Mm-hmm. And was a very committed Christian. A lot of people don't know that about him. But uh, his his version of success was simply that, is that you go out and do the best that you could to become the best that you're capable of coming. And I think that's a really powerful uh, scriptural um, understanding of what real productivity should be. Yeah. And of course, Wooden had such incredible humility. I'm talking about that later in the day. And I was thinking of the story of him with the broom out sweeping the court every day. Yeah. You would think that yes. that would be beyond him to do, but he, he considered that a part of his job. No, that's really true. That's really true. It's, it's interesting. I read a, 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 um, a biography about, not about him, it's about somebody else, but he was talking about when he went and actually met Wooden. And it was at a big basketball camp. And this, he was a young coach. He was really excited. He thought, yeah, this would be great. We'll sit up at, you know, late at night and talk about all these things. And Wooden went to bed every night at, at, at 9 o'clock, right? But he got up really early. The rest of these guys are sleeping. He's up doing stuff. And it was really an interesting insight into this incredibly gifted. I mean, he was a five-talent guy, no doubt, right? But he really took his definition of success and what productivity looked like from, from Scripture. I think he got it from, a, you know, if I can talk to him, and I will someday in the new heaven and new earth, right, I'm going to ask him, where did you get that? And I, I'll almost be willing to bet you that his answer is going to be from the parable of the talents. Yeah, I bet. All right, when, I'm going to take a little break, Hugh, and when I come back, I want to talk about that phrase we hear all the time, which is, if we only had more time. 
when we come back, Hugh Welch is my guest. He is the uh, editor, I'm, I'm sorry, the um, executive director of the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. We'll take a short break and be right back. Listening to Bill Arnold's Encore presentation. We are talking about time and productivity with Hugh Welchel. He's the executive director of the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics. And Hugh, we hear that expression all the time. If I only had more time, but getting more time doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be more productive, does it? <laughs> That's right. Maybe that you waste more time. Yeah. <laughs> I've been accused of that from time to time. Um, but I, I think really one of the things we have to think about when we think about productivity, and I've got a good friend named Matt Pierman, and Matt is he is the guy, if you want to know about productivity, particularly from God's perspective, he's an expert on that and probably one of the one of the most interesting guys I, I've met in terms of, of, of understanding productivity, particularly from a from a scriptural standpoint. He wrote a little book a couple of years ago, and it's really the best book I've seen on on this subject, and it's called What's Best Next? Matt hmm. Pierman, What's Best Next? And one of the things he talks about in that book is that it's not trying to get more stuff done, but trying to get the right stuff done. And I tell you, that's a, that's a, a huge, uh, important uh, way to understand as we kind of look at our to-do list. I mean, all of us have to-do list, right? And what we typically do when we look at it is we think, what can I get done the fastest? <laughs> so I can mark it off, right? And I've been, right. I've been guilty of that. One of the things he says is, you know, you really should sit down and think about, okay, of all these things I've got to do, what's the most important in terms uh, of um, what I really want to get done today? And, and, and really what I want to get done today, what is driving that, right? And am I really trying to seek out what God wants me to do today, or am I trying to get done what I want to get done today? I think one of the problems all of us have is we get into, in, into the, our work day, and, you know, things are coming at us from the right and the left, and we're just being bombarded by all sorts of things. And sometimes we forget that the purpose of our work is to bring flourishing to God's creation and really to bring flourishing to the community that God has called us to serve. That's the why behind everything we do. Mm-hmm. And, and our work is to, is to glorify God, is to serve the common good, is to further his kingdom. But so many times when we're down in the trenches trying to get things done, we forget that bigger picture. And one of the things he's really good about in this book is, is how do you keep bringing yourself back and reminding yourself of that, right? And I'm telling you, if, if you can do that, it, it puts such a different perspective not only on the way you do your work, but on helping you understand, you know, what's really important here? What's the most important thing I can do here? And the surprising thing, I think, to me, and he brings that out in a book, and I've read some other things more recently, is really we think getting things done is so important so we can check them off. But the reality is we want to get things done that will um, increase our commitment to what God's called us to do, right? That should be what we drive in. So it's a really different perspective. 
And so I would strongly recommend his book to you, to your listeners. Mm-hmm. Hugh, do we sometimes use uh, busyness as a barrier to keep people at arm's length? How are you? I'm busy. You know, I've been busy lately. Almost like, don't ask me any more questions. No, that that's absolutely right. It's absolutely, and it works really well, which is why we keep doing it, right? <laughs> I think so. But that would keep you from having a, a real discussion with somebody about uh, gospel productivity, gospel-driven productivity. Um, because yeah, everyone, I tell you, that, go ahead. No, I mean, everyone is so consumed with schedules and things that they want to do, and uh, and I and I think what we're talking about today a little bit is let's sure we let's make sure we keep the main thing the main thing. And that's exactly right. And really, you know, one of the main things that we always have to think about, and once again, this gets lost in the shuffle sometimes in our in our uh, search to be to be more productive is relationships, right? So, so when someone's asking you a question, like you mentioned earlier, right? Uh, can you do this? Or can you do that? Oh, no, I'm too busy. You're really shutting down that relationship. And, and one of the things I think we've got to do, particularly as believers, is find more and more opportunities to build relationships uh, with, particularly with our coworkers at work. You know, it gives us an incredible opportunity uh, to help them, help them flourish, and all those things open the doors to to more significant conversations down the road. Mm-hmm. Hugh, isn't it interesting when we read how Jesus uh, lived and operated? He was usually on his way somewhere, and he was interrupted. And then he took time to do ministry. It seems like there was he was constantly being interrupted. Constantly being interrupted. One of my favorite stories, if you look at one of the, the passages, Jesus walking on the water when he, he meets the disciples in the middle of the storm on, on the Sea of Galilee. It, it, there's a little, there's a little, a couple words there that that you kind of slide by and you, and you forget. It. it says he meant to pass them by. <laughs> you know, so he really meant, you know, he, George, I mean, Jesus is taking a shortcut across the lake, right? Mm-hmm. And he meant to, he, he didn't mean to have this encounter, I guess, with them, but it happens, and it becomes this powerful teaching moment that he's able to talk to the disciples, right? Particularly in the Peter, and you just think. You know, how many of us miss opportunities like that for God to teach us something or for us to help other people because we're so locked into trying to do what we think we're supposed to do, and we refuse to be flexible and really let God interrupt our schedules mm-hmm. to, to either to show us something incredible or to let us, you know, have an incredible encounter with Him and maybe with someone else. Yeah. Hugh, in a recent article, you quoted... Thomas Edison, whoever that is, and it said, if we did all the things we are capable of, we would literally astound ourselves. Would you talk about that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that's true. I think we often, even as two talent guys, right, we often <laughs> undersell ourselves in terms of what God can use us to do. Uh-huh. Um, and you and I both have been in situations where we thought this is never going to happen. But we really knew that God was wanting us to, to, to step out in, in faith on something, and we did. And we were blown away by what ends up happening, right? And I think that's that's what Thomas uh, uh, Edison is getting at. I don't know that Thomas Edison was a believer. I don't think he was. Yeah. But um, still, I think the idea behind that is, you know, we have to give God room to really work not only in our lives, but in our work, in the situations he puts us in. 
and then be prepared to, to, you know, we always ask God to help us, and then we're amazed when he does, right? And mm-hmm. I think we need, to, we need to expect that more, and we need to really be prepared to let God do things in our lives and be open to his leading uh, in ways we don't. I, I can say sometimes at work we get so locked into getting down through our list, like you said earlier, we're not allowing God to interrupt us to do something incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think he wants to do that on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, Hugh, wouldn't you agree that productivity begets more productivity? Yeah, you know the you know the story that said if you want to get something done, go find the busiest guy you know and ask him to help you. Right, but if you have someone you want to share Christ with, and you think, well, I've got to do this and do that, how about just a simple thing like a text message saying, "Hey, I was thinking about you today. I was praying for you." And you just yeah, take no, little incremental probably. steps. It doesn't take long to do either. No, it doesn't. That's a nice thing, right? Yeah, and then right. uh, I've right. always said if I want to have a productive day, I get up and I do something that makes me feel productive. I mean, sometimes you get up and you do laundry and you go, hey, I'm ready to face the day now. I got something done. That's right. That's yeah. how you get started. Yeah. One of the things I, I find, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, I just find it incredibly interesting. You know, if you go to the opening chapter of Genesis and when you read the creation story, get to the sixth day of creation and God comes to Adam and Eve and says, let me tell you why you're here. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you what your job description is, right? This is Genesis 1:28. He tells them, look, I want you to do two things. You know, I want you to fill the earth with images, fill the earth with God's images like you, and then I want you to subdue the earth. Now, the word subdue there is the Hebrew word kabosh, and it literally means to make the earth an incredible place for human beings to flourish. So, so, and I would argue that the gospel is a redemptive call to a lost and forfeited calling to fill the earth with images and subdue the earth. Now, we have to change a little bit because of the fall, and we, and we, we live in a fallen world. We know that. But we who've been redeemed are put in the same place Adam and Eve were before the fall. Mm-hmm. And so we're called to fill the earth with redeemed images, right? So that's, that's um, uh, discipleship, that's evangelism, that's church. And then we're also called to subdue the earth, you know, right? That's our, that's our vocational work. That's our work in the community. And see, these two things are so interrelated, but so often we, we act like they're two separate things. And the church is pretty good at the one, right? We talk a lot in church about about uh, um, redeeming. Uh, um, that's Greece by filling it with redeemed images, and we talk about all those sort of things. But we forget about subduing the earth. And see, while we're out subduing the earth, we get incredible opportunities to do what? <coughs> to do the other part, to, to, to fill the earth with redeemed images. So the two go so hand in hand, yeah. we need to see that we're, we're called to do both, not either or. Yeah. Right? Hugh, i got to say, it's been a productive talk. Thank you so much for doing the show, and thank you for bringing uh, this subject uh, to our minds and to be uh, gospel-driven, productivity-driven. Thank you, Hugh. Well, thank you. We love what you're doing. Keep up the good work. God bless you. Thanks so much. We're going to take a little break and be back more in just a minute. Welcome back to the show. Awfully nice to uh, get a chance to talk to Mike Donahue. He has written a book, and when I read the title of his book, I'm wondering 
you know, don't you hate it when autocorrect doesn't autocorrect correctly? I'm not sure, but I think it's he meant it on purpose. The title of the book is Finding God's Life for My Will. Great title. And, of course, you know him as a singer, songwriter, and guitarist for the contemporary Christian band 10th Avenue North. And I'm awfully glad to welcome him to the show. Mike, hi. Well, hi. Thanks yeah. so much. Yeah. Nice work. Cool career. You got a lot of stuff happening. <laughs> I guess so. I'm yeah. just trying to uh, make the best use of what I've been given. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you read your title, Finding God's Life for My Will, of course, I know there's a little wordplay there. What's happening? Yeah, I'm I'm always trying to take phrases we've said over and over, and they've come to mean the very opposite of what they were meant to mean. So, for instance, in Scripture you see, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for your life. So when it describes God's will for your life, it talks about your heart. Well, when we say, God, I want to know your will for my life, we're not usually looking for him to respond with, I want you to be joyful and <laughs> right. grateful. We're going, no, tell me what career path I'm supposed to take. And so this this title is sort of, I feel like the biblical ideals kind of spell out for us that God isn't as interested in what you do with your life as he is with how you live your life and why you live your life. So maybe instead of asking for God's will for my life, I need to be asking what God's life for my will is. I love that. Now, this has been kind of a big issue for you personally, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a big issue for anybody who really wants to know, am I doing what God wants me to do? And it's sort of a big letdown when God goes, well, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. And we go, well, no, don't don't leave it in my corner, God. Like, show me the way, part the Red Sea. And God's going, yeah, 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 but one step at a time. Like, well, I, I, want to get, I want God to give me a 10-year plan, and he wants— he wants to be that annoying friend in the passenger seat who, like, tells you the directions <laughs> one step too late. Yeah. All right. You say in your book most of the plans that you've made were just attempts to avoid having to listen and wait for God to come through. You know, so I want to be done with that. Why, why is it so difficult for us to do this surrender thing? I think it's because faith is frustrating. Mm-hmm. Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, what's faith? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. So God's saying, if you want to live a life of faith, you can't have all the answers. And so if we're honest with ourselves, we would rather have all the answers and not have to live by faith. And for whatever reason, and there's a lot of reasons I think I'm not even aware of, God's really into faith. He's really into (laughs) Like I couldn't agree more. Him. Yeah. A, you know what I mean? Like, big... think about how much it hurts your heart when you tell your kid, hey, jump in my arms. And they go, no, you're going to drop me. Yeah. Inconceivable. Go, I'm not going to drop you. Yeah. So have you ever tried to negotiate with God to the point where you were maybe even blackballing him? Blackmailing him? Uh, dude, I'm constantly the older brother in the prodigal son story. Okay. I've been doing all this stuff for you. Where's my fatted calf? Totally. And something a lot of a lot of people, especially if you grew up in the church, you don't ever realize about the prodigal son story, is that the older brother and the younger brother are actually guilty of the exact same thing. They're just going about it different ways. They're totally. both trying to get happy outside of the father's presence. Right. And I love the father's retort to the older brother. He goes, what are you talking about? 
everything I have is yours. You're in the party, man. Yeah. And so, so we go, okay, God, if I do this and this and this, you're going to, you're going to make my career successful. And God's going, you actually think I care if you're successful. Mm-hmm. I care if you're surrendered. Yeah. Cause uh, I, I love the, the prodigal sons both were alienated from the father. One was doing everything right. One was doing everything wrong, but they didn't want the father. They just wanted the father's stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can, that, that's the blackmail version. Yeah, exactly. I do all the right things so God can give me something other than him. Yeah. So have you been trusting God with your decisions? I mean, big stuff. Like, did you trust God to, when you were trying to figure out to marry your wife or not? Man, I'm still trusting God. On that <laughs> uh, all right. You know, that's kind of my point is I had a really hard time deciding whether or not to marry my wife. And it's because I didn't want to actually have to love somebody. And I feel like a lot of, Ooh, a lot of guys big. I know, they're like praying, praying, praying. Should I marry this girl? Should I marry this girl? Should I marry this girl? They get married and then they stop asking God, hey, how am I supposed to love this girl mm-hmm. today? So it's kind of like we want the big picture answers, but we don't want to lean into what God's asking us of us today. See, that's gold. I've already got my money's worth. We can stop the interview right now. I, I liken I liken my book to making smoothies. It's, I was making smoothies. I was making smoothies with my daughters. Yeah, you know it's the only way they'll eat nutrients is if you hide them in a chocolate smoothie. <laughs> and exactly. I'm putting this I'm putting this avocado in with a fork, and my nine year old comes downstairs. She goes, "Hey, Dad, can I help?" I said, "Yeah," and I unconsciously drop the fork and the avocado into the Vitamix, uh-huh. and she grabs a handful of spinach, tosses in, hides the fork. We throw in the coconut milk, the banana, the you know, the powder, blah, 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 hit go on the Vitamix, all the lights in my house start flickering on and off, smoke, <laughs> sparks. And, dude, I'm not making this up. This is a couple months ago. The yeah. fork shoots out the side of the Vitamix oh, and my. punches a hole in the wall. <laughs> the smoothie is everywhere. Oh, my. And I liken that to finding God's life for my will because a lot of us are going, hey, God, what can I do? What can I add? What can I achieve? More, 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 more. And God's going, um, hey, there's a, there's a fork. There's a fork in there. And you're like, no, 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 I'll do more for you, God. I'll do more. And he's going, hey, uh, you haven't forgiven that guy. Or like you have this huge greed thing in your heart. Get the fork out of here. And, and we're like, nah, nah, that's fine. Fork is fine. And so hmm. you can like keep looking forward for God's plan. But if you're not listening to what he's asking you to do today, that fork is going to come out. And when it does, it's going to come out sideways. Yeah. So what was it like for you growing up? Did you, were you kind of a wild kid? What, what was that like? I don't think wild is a broad enough term. Okay. I was a maniacal troublemaking machine of some sort. <laughs> I, dude, I just, I have a chapter in my book it's called 42 trips to the principal's office. And it's the 42 times I was sent to the principal's office just my seventh grade year. Wow. If that gives you any kind of idea. But uh, my life was really changed by my middle school principal who he refused to call me a delinquent. And he kind of treated me like, hey, Mike, this isn't who you are. Every time I talked to him and um, the most famous moments when he caught me with my hand in the candy machine. I was stealing, you know how those old vending machines, you could steal candy out of the bottom 
Uh, no, I don't, candy. Mike. No, I don't. Okay. Well, I do. <laughs> You're alone and, uh, on that one. I, I, I was stealing candy out of the bottom of the vending machine, and he walks in, and he looks at me, and he says, hmm. He, I mean, he caught me red-handed. I'm sitting there. My arm is up. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and he, he says, so, Michael, you're telling me your integrity is worth 50 cents. Thanks. And he says, I always knew it was worth more than that. And he walks out. Wow. And it was just that thing. Like, he treated me like, hey, this behavior isn't who you are. It actually doesn't match who you are. You're better than this. And a uh, huge shift in my life. My eighth grade year, I didn't get sent to the principal's office one time. Wow, that's pretty powerful. That was a pivotal moment, and that principal really stepped up and did an amazing thing. Yeah, and, and it's it's translating to me as a parent, my yeah. five-year-old is she's really stubborn, really strong-willed, and it's easy to go, oh, she's exhausting. I go, you know what? When my middle school principal looked at me, he didn't see delinquent. He said, he's creative. Yeah. You know, it's like there's a positive side to this negative behavior, but you got to be, you got to have eyes open to like call it out. Yeah. Okay. Let's fast forward a little bit. You're out of eighth grade. Now let's go seven years later, and now you're a senior in high school. Yeah, my senior in high school, I got in a near-fatal car accident. Got uh, my friend, old country road, caught the side of the wheel on the, on the road, flipped the car five times at 50 miles an hour. Mm. I broke my back in a couple places, flatlined five times on the way to the hospital. Should be dead. Wow. And, um... But that was the beginning of my music because I laid on my back for two months waiting for my back to heal, and that's when I first asked for a guitar. And so in the book, I talk about sometimes the dreams you have are being shattered, but it's because something else is being given to you. So dream, but don't close your fists around exactly how those dreams need to go. Because oftentimes something's dying and something else is being born at the same time. Mm. In the back, uh, did you break? Did you? What happened in the accident? Uh, I got thrown out of the car. The car somersaulted five times, oh, and I crazy. flew out the side. Yeah, I didn't have my seatbelt on. People say, "Oh, see, if you'd worn your seatbelt." Well, they actually said if I had worn my seatbelt, I would have been dead because the the roof of the car was caved into my seat. Mm-hmm. Um, but flew out. Broke my face, ripped my ear off. They had to re-sew my ear back on. My back was broken in two places. Pretty gnarly. Wow, that is. So you get a guitar, you're laying on your back. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go be a performer, does it? No. In fact, I went to college the next year as a theater major, thinking I'm going to be this acting legend. And I didn't get any parts on any of the school plays for two years. And, um, but lo and behold, my junior year comes along and I start getting offered roles in plays. Well, I had to turn them down because in those two years when all my theater dreams were being crushed, mm-hmm. my little band, we had started in our dorm room yeah. started being asked to play all over the state of Florida. So then my junior and senior year, I was turning down roles so we could go full time with our band. Well. So I was just... I have a song, you know, that says, I want to know a song can rise from the ashes of a broken life. That is actually what happened to me. Yeah. And I'm always amazed at how God will 
use circumstances and then change them exactly how he wants and you find yourself changing your complete career path because you were going to be the next De Niro and yeah. all of a sudden you're playing music. We, we shouldn't be too suppressed. No, I, know. I mean, at the center of our faith is God using the worst moment in human history to give redemption to all mankind. Yeah. So we shouldn't be surprised when the grossest, ugliest moments in our life, God is still able to reweave them into something beautiful. Yeah. So when you go on stage, did you ever have stage fright? Did you have anxiety about being up there? Uh, I mean, yes and no. Okay. You know, I think mostly... I'm nervous about being on stage and believing the second applause because like, let's be honest in my band, I get applauded for showing up to work Mm -hmm. and that's twisted. Oh yeah. A mailman. There aren't people standing out by their mailboxes clapping the mailman on. Yeah. Like you showed up today, but that's as a, a singer in a band, you walk on stage and people are already cheering. You, so you, yeah. you have to be diligent that there's actually a really beautiful thing in applause because God applauded himself when he creates the world. Yeah. After each day, he steps back and he says, this is good. You get more and, more affirmation no, by showing up for work than most people get in their whole working career. Right? That's messed up. And so I have to go, what negative effects is that doing in my heart? Am I starting to believe my own hype. And that's the second applause. See, there's nothing wrong with applauding some kind of creative work because God applauds himself. Mm -hmm. But when we get into trouble is when we believe the second applause, which is, oh, he must be so amazing to have been able to write that song. (laughs) Oh, he must be so spiritual because, and you have to resist that and go, no, it's awesome that I co-created this with God. It is good. And that's it. Let's move on. Mike Donna, he's my guest. Uh, his book is called Finding God's Life for My Will. We'll take a very short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. Awfully glad to be talking to Mike Donahue. He uh, has written a book called Finding God's uh, Life for My Will. I always have to check myself when I go to read that to make sure I'm saying it correctly. And so you got this good gig with 10th Avenue North, and that's been going on, what, 15 years? 19, actually. 19, okay. Yeah, I'm bad at math. So what are some of the uh, challenges you've encountered being on uh, the road? You know, honestly, uh, the biggest one was a couple years ago. Our wives kind of came to us and said, this isn't worth it. You're on too much. Mm. And uh, you need to cut the number of shows you're doing in half or you need to quit. And we said, well, if we cut the number of shows we do in half, we're going to have to quit because we're not going to make enough money mm-hmm. to feed all our children. And um, But we took this kind of big leap of faith. And lo and behold, we were able to do almost half as many shows and make close to the same amount of money. Wow. And that was a huge thing where I, I had to wake up to the fact that God can do this without me and that if he calls me to a thing, he will provide the means to do it in a healthy way. 
I don't think God is ever calling me to sacrifice my family on the altar of ministry. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, Mike, let's just look at the career of the 19 years. Maybe give me a couple of ways in which you have personally changed since you've been with the band. Maybe we should start with uh, hair products. <laughs> I use less now than okay. I used to. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, my my brother-in-law is actually a, a hairstylist, so he cuts my hair. And, uh, yeah, my hairstyle has definitely changed. Yeah, see, I go, I go to a barber, you go to a stylist. That's where we, we differ. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, mine's a little longer, so. Yeah. But, man, I think in so many ways I've changed. Mostly, I think the biggest thing is my value and worth isn't nearly as fragile as it used to be, depending on the amount of applause or acceptance I receive. That's interesting. It's important, but it means less and less, huh? Well, it means I'm freer to say the things I actually feel like God wants me to say and not just the things that I think people will like. Mm -hmm. There's a great thing in Luke 6 in the message, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He says, "Uh, you think your job is to um, be popular. It's not. Your job is to tell the truth. And uh, I kind of realized that if I only sing about things I know people will like, then I don't speak the truth. I just sell the truth. Like. And uh, there's a beautiful freedom when you can start writing songs that you know not everyone's going to get or like. Yeah. You know, one of the things I, I, I love, and I think we're going to be a little bit in, in agreement about this, is how powerful and how sacred interruptions are. Uh, yes. I mean, I read the New Testament and I go, Jesus was on his way to do something and he was interrupted. And then he does this mind-blowing miracle. I'm going, there's something about the sacredness of interruptions. And you, you talk about not wanting to miss the ministry of interruption. So maybe would you give an example of how you've grown to see things differently? Yeah, that's exactly right. Jesus is interrupted by a bleeding woman. He's interrupted by a deaf and mute guy in Mark 7. He's interrupted by friends lowering somebody through a roof. You know? yeah. And a lot of us are going, okay, God, what's your big plan for my life? Mm-hmm. And then a big way for me is I have this friend named Corey that I made in college. He talks really slow. He drowned in a pool when he was three. So he has really clunky motor skills, and his speech is really slow. But Corey's hilarious. He's a loyal friend. He's beautiful. And like a lot of people, I didn't have time for him when I first talked to him because I was too busy like doing big stuff at the church, having big ministry. Mm-hmm. And I started reading in the scriptures, and I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I'm not ready to be interrupted, I'm probably missing the ministry moments God's giving me, you know? And so just slowing down and talking with Corey was a huge lesson in my life of what Mother Teresa says, I think, so poignantly. She says, we do no great things for God. We just do really small things with great love. And it's usually the person right in front of us that's interrupting our big plans is Jesus in disguise. Yeah, well said. I I have to remind myself to be willing to loiter because sometimes if I loiter a little bit, that's the time when I get an opportunity to have a conversation I wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, we we like real clean, curated lives. (laughs) And and you look at Jesus' life and he he just embraced the messiness. Yeah. So you've been doing some work at a church. How many years have you been doing that? 
Well, I worked at a church for seven years down South Florida. Okay. And now I just volunteer part-time at my church now. Yeah, cool. And, you know, we, we live in a sort of this me culture where always we have to be doing self-promotion and and we always have to be trying to get people to like our stuff and all that. So when we think of going out and being a servant of the king, how do we navigate those two? Man, yeah, that's 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 a tough one. Yeah, I agree. If I figure that out, I'll let you know. Yeah. I um, think I think one thing that really helps me is remembering what my ministry is. And people are always like, oh, my ministry's music, my ministry's this, and my ministry's that, and my ministry's this. According to Paul, he says in Second Corinthians 5, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Like, so whatever it is you do occupationally, your ministry is reconciliation. And that kind of helps me go, all right, my, my, my ministry isn't to be the biggest. My ministry is to help people see that they're forgiven and to help them forgive other people. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of makes it like, yeah, so like promote your thing you're doing, but at the end of the day, it's about all of us realizing how forgiven we are, you know? Yeah. Now, Mike, you say in, in your book that Jesus doesn't seem to require leadership skills of anyone. He only bids them come and follow him. So do you have any kind of warning or advice to give someone who's focusing on, I want to be a leader? Yeah, if you want to be called a leader, you're setting yourself up for failure to ever be a good one. Like the label leader has to be given to you by other people. And in fact, so I'm not making this up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, he says it twice, do not refer to us as leaders, call us servants. And what do we do? We're like, ooh, let's invent a new term, servant leader. Paul didn't say that. He said, servant. He said, don't call me a leader. And we're like, but we add the word leader to servant because the word servant does nothing for our egos. It just doesn't. Yeah. Not alluring, not drag, doesn't feel powerful. And we all have a deep lust for power and control. And love is often calling us to give up power and control. And so I always think it's a way more scriptural approach to just focus on serving people. If people call you a leader, you can't help that, whatever. Right. But it shouldn't. It doesn't need to be on your radar. Jesus said to Peter, he didn't say, hey, Peter, lead my sheep. He said, Peter, feed my sheep. Mm-hmm. And so I would actually propose that the word leader has come to mean things in the church, at least, that it was never meant to mean. And so we should ditch it. And like, instead of calling your worship team people worship leaders, call them worship feeders. I like that. That's good. So uh, the book, How Do I Get My Mitts on One? And, and is there a way to connect with you online and be part of your um, your uh, big number of followers? Uh, you know, you can get that book anywhere books are sold, really. Yeah. Not anywhere, but most assume, places. Yeah, I assume the, the normal online. ones. Yeah. Wherever you buy the books, uh, you can go to 10thAvenueNorth.com, MikeDonahy.com, MikeDonahy, Instagram, 10th Avenue North, Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of, you know. Mm -hmm. There's this thing, this interconnected network of computers that they've invented. It's called the Internet. 
Mm. And I think Al Gore invented it. It's really amazing. Go get on there and you can, is you can the, find out. Is the internet just on computers or is it? <laughs> it's, it it's, it's all over the place now. It's okay. amazing. See, this this interview has been so enlightening for me. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the band, what do you got coming up in that world? Uh, you know, just recently we uh, released a new record called No Shame. Um, and uh, we're really excited about it. Well, I look forward to hearing it, and I, I'm awfully glad I got a chance to, to talk to you. It's been an eye-opening experience. Great. Thanks, man. Thanks, Mike. Nice to have you on the show. Mike Donahue has been my guest. His book is called Finding God's Life for My Will. That ends our week. Thank you so much to all my guests for making it such an awesome week. And as you are going about your weekend, I pray that God is blessing you throughout uh, each day you have. And I pray that you have an outstanding weekend. It is time to ring the bell. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.